I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our study today of the book of Daniel. I'm just astounded at the way um, that it speaks to us at this critical juncture in our stories. God's word. I don't know why I'm astounded. It always speaks, right? It, God's word is living and active and t- sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's able to discern between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. So I don't know why I'm surprised. But in my humanness, I still stand amazed that God's word speaks exactly into the situations at just the right time. We are going to be uh, telling the story again. I'm going to tell it for you of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar and how this amazing, wicked king had a phenomenal experience of the glory of God such that, that uh, he became, this is like the gospel, Daniel 4 is like the gospel according to Nebuchadnezzar, that, that this wicked king is proclaiming the greatness of God. Now, it took something for God to get him there. Just like it took something for God to get me to bow before him as well. But um, I'm so excited about looking with you at that story and trying to draw principles for our lives from that story here today. I just want to add one other scripture uh, real quick. Turn over to the book of Galatians, if you would. The book of Galatians. So it's in the New Testament now. And... um, after the Gospels, we have begin the letters of Paul. And at one point, there's four books in a row, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And Galatians is the first one of that. So you see 2 Corinthians, you're getting very close. But one powerful verse for us, I just want to file in the back of your minds as we open Daniel 4 together today, comes from Galatians 6.1. Just one single verse we're going to read this morning. Hear the word of God, would you? Brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The very word of God. Uh, Thanks. Thanks be to God. Well, we're continuing our study of Daniel, and, and I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that it's very hard to tell in Daniel the chronology, what's going on, partially because in a couple of places he jumps back and forth. But, um, but the reality is, is that this godly man who, who, um, who went through all kinds of extenuating circumstances, if you, if you judged whether you were a godly person by whether negative things happen to you, you would never think that Daniel was a godly man, right? God has broken through all those stereotypes, right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. In fact, many times God uses the difficult circumstances in our lives to to actually direct the course of our lives. And as we've seen with Daniel, as we saw with Joseph, in, gosh, 50 chapters of Genesis, right, um, God uses even negative experiences to bring himself glory. And this is what happened here. Now we're probably uh, 40 years into Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Daniel is no longer a 14 or 15-year-old boy. 
He's a grown man that has influenced um, a culture, an ungodly culture, for four or five decades. And and now we come to a place where, where Nebuchadnezzar, um, because, remember, God put Nebuchadnezzar in place. Yes, I said that. God put a wicked king in responsibility over his people for his sovereign purposes. But because Nebuchadnezzar did what God asked him to do, he has flourished and his country has flourished. Babylon is a world power at that point. And Nebuchadnezzar has begun to slip into that temptation to identify himself with what God has done, right? Um, And that's a very dangerous place to be. Oh, we have been so blessed as as Americans, right? As North Americans, as people who live in the United States and who have their citizenship in the United States. Um, we've been so blessed. We have enjoyed prosperity like like Pharaoh never knew, like, like Nebuchadnezzar never knew. But with prosperity comes danger, right? Because with prosperity comes this temptation to believe that it is we who have accomplished this for ourselves, right? I, I find this in my own life. Well, through my wise financial planning, you know, we, through this or that, through things that I have done, I have somehow uh, accomplished this for my life. And God says, you don't do anything. Remember, you don't breathe unless I say breathe. And, and so God has to bring his, his daughters. He has to bring his sons. He has to bring his kings and he has to bring his president to that place where they will understand that he is sovereign over them. And that's just what happened for Nebuchadnezzar. Again, it's hard to tell. I have my suspicions and it's intriguing to me. And I just will say this once as an aside. It's so much fun to see how Secular history and biblical history come together. When people point out to you apparent discrepancies between them, it's because there's something that they don't understand. But if you will risk digging deep into God's word, then always human history and biblical history will come together and and you will be amazed. You will laugh. I found myself laughing. Remember, Ted, we were talking together. I found myself laughing at how the world says, oh, this can't be true. And and the biblical history said, this is why this is true. I'll explain that to you in just a moment. But Nebuchadnezzar comes. There's this, there's this amazing testimony in the book of Daniel. Remember, we're in the Aramaic section. We're speaking Nebuchadnezzar's language. The, the, this part of the scripture is written in his language. And he tells an amazing story in in Daniel chapter 4 of how God humbled him, right? So he's he's amazingly successful. And, and, And he's begun to think that, wow, this is by my hand that these things have happened. You have to remember that he was an amazing, like Herod, a few centuries later, he was an amazing builder. And he built this monument to himself, and to Babylon, it was a it was a whole city. Have you heard the expression "the Hanging Gardens of Babylon"? One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was built by this man. It was a marvel of engineering. I got to stop going on bunny trails, but but he figured out that if you put vegetation on the rooftops, that they would automatically cool the buildings, right? And and so 
the, the palace complex was this gorgeous combination of vegetation and, and architecture that, that, that rivaled anything the world has ever seen, right? And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar begins to think, you know, I've done a pretty good job, right? I'm, I'm, I've, I have reigned for 40 years, and I brought peace to, to the entire kingdom, which spreads now over, over seven or eight major countries in our modern world, right? I, um, I've, I've been doing pretty good. And, and Daniel comes and warns him. He says, oh, excuse me, uh, God gives him a dream first about a tree. That, that is magnificent. Its roots go down deep in the earth and its branches reach to the heavens and all the birds of the air find their home in this tree. All the beasts, and that's going to be an important thing here, all the beasts of the field find their uh, shade under its branches, right? And, and, and it's a beautiful expression of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And he realizes that a, a second grader can, can hear this vision and interpret it, right? And then uh, an angel, he doesn't use that word, he uses a, a, the, the Babylonian name watcher, comes and cuts down that tree and binds the stump in brass and iron, bronze and iron, right? And, and for seven times, quote-unquote times, or most people have interpreted years, that that now the, the imagery changes from a tree to a beast. God gives this tree the mind of a beast, and it and it lives outside with the dew of heaven, and it literally eats grass. And for seven seasons, this this once glorious uh, person is humbled and eats grass. By the way, there's. There's, there's evidence in, in psychological journals of this same thing happening to human beings in our time where people lose their minds. The scripture is very clear. God gave him the mind of a beast, right? And, and that's not a slam on beasts. That's just saying no longer could he discern things like, like a person created in the image of God could. No longer could he understand spiritual things for seven seasons, probably years he lives off the grass, outside in, in the weather, right? And then Daniel 4 says he looks to heaven, right? He looks to heaven and God gives him his mind back. God gives him his kingdom back after seven years. And, and Nebuchadnezzar breaks out into a psalm praise to the living God. This wicked king, we don't know a man's heart, right? We can never judge a woman or a man's heart. Um, but everything coming out of his mouth now is far beyond. Before, whenever God proved himself glorious, Nebuchadnezzar would say, everybody worship the God of Daniel, right? Now, now he seems to have a personal relationship with this God. Now he is talking to God himself. Well, wow. Well, why in the middle of this amazing book that's going to impact your life and mine, does God give us the gospel according to Nebuchadnezzar? What can we learn from 
Nebuchadnezzar. Many of you here in the sanctuary, um, if you're able to have them uh, have, have notes, you're welcome to follow along. You're welcome to just take your own notes or you're welcome just to listen. But um, I want to answer that question. What did he learn that so transformed him from, from basically a beast to once again a sovereign king? Well, he learned this. If you miss everything else I say, do not miss this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, right? The truth that Nebuchadnezzar learned through his long ordeal is that the Most High God rules over the affairs of our world. This is going to come back and bite us, you guys. The sovereign God rules over the affairs of our world. Our God is a sovereign God. And what it means to be sovereign, it means that, that, that God is the highest being. It means to be in control, to have total authority and power. In the purest sense, only God is sovereign, right? Human beings can have great power and rule what seems to be with absolute authority over people. We've experienced that in our own country, right? It seems like human beings are, are ruling over people. But, but like Nebuchadnezzar, all the rulers of this world still are subject to a sovereign God. And just as the sovereign God put a wicked king over his people so God can put a righteous or a wicked person over us and still accomplish his purpose. Nothing is outside of God's knowledge and direction. He, um, Nebuchadnezzar says it several times. His kingdom in, in his introduction in Daniel 4.3 is an everlasting kingdom. This is the king saying this, right? The king is saying that God's kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Three times in this, this small chapter, three times we learn the, the powerful statement, to this end that the living may know that the Most High, that's the name for God, rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will, Three times he says that, and one time he adds this phrase, and sets over it the lowliest of men, right? It's not about the earthly king. It's about the sovereign God who rules over all. So first of all, God is sovereign. And and the sooner we can grasp that, the sooner, beloved, that we can submit to that, even in extenuating circumstances, the sooner we can surrender to that, the sooner we'll come to peace and, and, and find our place in this sovereign God's world. So the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar learns is that God is sovereign. He has to learn the hard way. I pray, I pray that we will take that truth by faith so that we don't have to learn it the hard way. But know this for certain, that God will prove himself glorious. He will prove himself sovereign one way or another. And the second thing I want to note from this here is that God takes sin seriously. It's so easy because a day 
for the Lord is as a thousand years, right? So easy to think that God apparently doesn't take sin seriously because all around us people are getting away with it, right? The whole Psalm 73 is a rhapsody about how it seems like the sinful, how it seems like the wicked are accomplishing everything they desired and the righteous are suffering, right? And then in that beautiful midpoint of Psalm 73, we, we come and find out that, that oh my goodness, the psalmist says, I came into the sanctuary of God and I understood, right? God is sovereign even over the wicked. But he takes wickedness seriously. If we do not turn from our sin, we will face the consequences. And at some time in your prayer, I just invite you to, to explore that personally. And, and when the Holy Spirit prompts you about some area of your life that's yet unsurrendered, or some area that where you are you are saying, I know your word says this, but I choose this, then, then I, I pray that, that you would allow God's Holy Spirit to bring conviction to your hearts. I pray for that in our families and in our city. I, I, I pray that when we see sin, when we see injustice, now biblical injustice, that's very different than social justice as proclaimed by our world right now. But when we see biblical injustice, that, that, that we repent and, and we join with God, we partner with God in overcoming that injustice. That's true also for us as a nation. Because in the past we have honored God, because in the past we have submitted to his word, God has given our nation unparalleled influence over the globe. Babylon covered a good seventh or eighth of the globe, right? It was one of the largest kingdoms of its day. But God has given the United States so much more influence. What have we done with it? We've propagated brokenness. We've propagated sin. We've, we've led the world in unrighteousness. And I say this as a, as a word of warning. God is not unjust. God, it's not like God's blind and he's ignoring this, right? We are very much in the place that Nebuchadnezzar was. And we are being told by God's word, repent. Repent as a nation. Remember Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, right, if my people, we're called to repent. If we don't turn from our sin individually, corporately as a body of Christ, and 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 as a nation, we will face the consequences. What were Nebuchadnezzar's consequences? He lost his mind. Right. That's just phenomenal. Just like that. Just like that. And he lost his mind. He also lost his people, right? He lost his kingdom. And maybe, just maybe, I mean, the bottom line for this is, is he lost his pride. He lost his pride. We'll come back to that in a moment. God is sovereign. The gospel of Nebuchadnezzar proclaims that powerfully. God also takes sin seriously. But, but the gospel of Nebuchadnezzar reveals also that in his mercy, God gives every opportunity, right? 
In his mercy, God gives every opportunity to what? First of all, to repent from our sin, right? He spoke directly to Nebuchadnezzar through his dream, right? He sent a spirit-filled, Nebuchadnezzar stumbles when he's trying to describe Daniel, but twice he says this, in this guy is the spirit, now your Bible might say of the gods, that word gods could be translated singular or plural, it depends on the context, in in him is the spirit of God, right? Even a non-believer recognized that. God spoke directly to Nebuchadnezzar, but he also sent spirit-filled people with his word to speak to Nebuchadnezzar as well. And it goes by really fast. I'm, the Daniel 4 is so long, we didn't have a chance to read the entirety of it here in our worship service. But you might not realize that 12 months went by from the time that God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar in this dream to the time when God carried out what he prophesied. Why? Why did 12 months go by? Is it God not bound by chronology and it doesn't matter to him? Or was God giving Nebuchadnezzar every opportunity to repent, right? God waits patiently for us to respond. Don't confuse patience with approval, right? Don't confuse patience of God with approval. Because he does not judge, because there is not consequences. By the way, I'm vulnerable to this, right? I, I, I'm, I'm vulnerable to going faster because I, don't, I know in the COVID era that police probably won't pull me over, right? Don't confuse the fact that police don't pull you over with the fact that it's right to speed, right? Don't confuse the patience of God with his approval, right? God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to turn from his sin. Peter would write about this later in 2 Peter uh, 3, 9. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some people count slowness, but he's patient. He's patient toward you, not desiring that any should perish, right? But that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. So, so God is, is in, in his mercy giving Nebuchadnezzar. God in his mercy is giving us every opportunity to repent from our sin, to return to him. Right? I love it that, that this beast, and, and I feel so much, David proclaimed this in the Psalms, I feel so much like a beast sometimes. I feel like, God, what's the difference between me and, a, and an animal? I, I respond sometimes just with knee-jerk reaction. Um, What's the difference? God has given us an opportunity to return to him. And as a beast, Nebuchadnezzar turns his eye to heaven and bam, bam. God gives him back his mind, right? God gives him back his kingdom. I'm going to press pause for just a second and say, what was going on right there? This is me now. This is Dave. What is this bronze and metal shackle on that stump? In the, in the, right? What is it? What happened to Nebuchadnezzar during those seven years? It looks like he was put in irons and left in, in probably in the palace grounds to eat grass for seven. Can you imagine that? Going to work every day, walking by the guy chewing grass, right? The king, Nebuchadnezzar, oh my gosh, I don't understand how he was protected during that time. It could be, I'm getting kind of excited, it could be because he had entrusted so much of the authority to Daniel, right? 
It's possible that Daniel's keeping the kingdom going during this time. It's also possible the the secular historians are quick to judge um, this passage, uh, and, and especially the book of Daniel, and say that couldn't possibly be because secular history records records um, four kings that that biblical history doesn't. Right? It's a common occurrence, actually. Um, Jesus is considered David's sons. Well, there was a lot of generations between Jesus and David, but but it's also possible that those four secular. You know how many years they reigned? Those four secular uh, kings, seven years. I don't know for sure, but but I know that God is worthy of our trust and that he will bring secular history and biblical history together. I know this, that secular history records other people fighting for power during this one seven-year history, and then all of a sudden um, it's over, and, and as we'll see next week, there's Belteshazzar, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar's line is reinstated, a return. Return to him. Lift up your eyes and look upon the glory of the sovereign God, right? God, in his mercy, called Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. God, in his mercy, invited him to return to him. God, in his mercy, invited Nebuchadnezzar to restore what was broken. This is this is 40-some years, probably, into Daniel's relationship with the 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 most powerful king of that day, and Daniel comes to him, and when he interprets his, his dream, he's, he's dumbstruck, as way some of the modern translations put it. He can't, he can't believe what he's going to have to say to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you're about to eat grass for seven years, right? But at the end of his prediction, his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebi, he didn't say Nebi, he didn't call him that. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, um, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. And maybe, perhaps, um, your prosperity will be lengthened, right? How do we restore what has been broken? When we come to that awareness that God is sovereign, that God is allowing us to impact the globe for his glory, what do we do? We restore what is broken. We break the cycle of sin. Daniel said, break, right? Break off your sin. Stop the cycle of sin right now. No matter what level you find yourself, it might be a personal sin. It, with, with the power of the Holy Spirit, break that cycle. Call together, brothers and sisters. Call people together to say, this is my brokenness. Walk with me through this. How people are finding life, beloved, by by breaking the cycle of sin with which they find themselves. But you can't just stop doing stuff. You ever tried that, Kathy? Have you ever just said, I'm going to stop doing this, right? Mm, By my will, mm, right? Um, you, You can't just stop. You have to replace it with something. And Daniel's counsel to Nebuchadnezzar was to, to, to practice righteousness, right? I'm going to move fast. Right actions that result from right relationships, right? Right relationships with God, with people, with ourselves. One of the hardest ones, right? Practice right relationships and show mercy to the oppressed, Maybe they're of a different political persuasion than you. Maybe they're of a different socioeconomic place than you. Show mercy. Show mercy. 
to the oppressed. What does this, what does this mean for us? Several leftover thoughts as I finished um, my soap study of, of Daniel chapter 4. First, our hope is in God. Amen? Our hope is in God and not in earthly kingdoms or governments. Right? Half the country is really excited, rejoicing over the change in, in, uh, in our leadership. Half the country is, is weeping, right? It's almost amazing. It was almost exactly half. It was amazing to see, right? It doesn't matter. Right? God is sovereign. You break the cycle of sin. You practice righteousness. People of God, let us, let it begin with us. And, and God will prove himself glorious. Just like he took away Nebuchadnezzar's mind and gave it back so God can snap his fingers. Anthropomorphism. But, and, and, and change the course of human history. So our hope is in God, not in governments. But secondly, we have to take sin seriously, right? God does beginning with ourselves. And we're going to get a beautiful example of that in a couple weeks. Daniel is going to model for us how to take responsibility for our sin. But let's begin by naming it. Let's begin by saying, yes, we are a broken people ourselves. We have no right to judge anybody else's sin because we ourselves are broken as well. Responsibility for repentance begins with the people of God. If we will not humble ourselves before God, God will humble us before the world. How do you feel about munching grass, right? It's going to be that visible. A strong case could be made for saying that we're, we're witnessing that right now. The humiliation of the proud. And the irony, the irony is that other, other people are proud that someone's being humiliated, right? And, and miss the point. <laughs> miss the point. Um, God, God will take our pride and remove it and humble us before the world. But I want you to catch this as well because I think if we have the end in mind, it sometimes helps us with the middle ground. Worship team, come on up if you would. The goal of all of this what was God's goal in humbling Nebuchadnezzar, right? This is, again, a wicked king who is accomplishing God's purposes in judging his people. And then God humbles him. But what was God's goal in humbling Nebuchadnezzar? His goal, this might surprise us, his goal was Nebuchadnezzar's restoration. God is not in the business of condemning people, right? He wants everyone to be drawn to him. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to be restored to power. Why? Because if, if Nebuchadnezzar understands the sovereignty of God, he will rule as a righteous, as a righteous king. And the gospel of Nebuchadnezzar, I keep calling it that, but the Daniel 4 is a testimony of God's ability to change even the most wicked king's heart, right? There is nobody beyond the power of the gospel. There is no one who is beyond the grace of God. Our job, beloved, no matter where you fall out in the political perspective here, our job is to pray for our leaders that God would reveal himself to them, right? So with joy, I pray for our, our mayor, our governor, our, our president, 
and vice president. With joy, I do that, right? Because God is able to change the heart of kings, presidents. God is able to lead us. So our goal is restoration. And, and how do we do that? Responsibility means speaking the truth in love with brokenhearted boldness. I want you to, as you reread the story, I want you to look at Daniel's heart as, as this wicked king and this righteous man interact. It's crazy, Beth, but, but Daniel must have come to love Nebuchadnezzar, right? Daniel must have come to love him because he, he prays for him and, and, then, and then he speaks gospel truth to him, right? He confronts this kingdom. That was instant death, right? If the king didn't receive it, he confronts the king. And, and responsibility for you and I means speaking the truth in love with broken-hearted boldness. No matter what people say on Facebook, right, about you. No matter how people receive. If it's broken-hearted boldness, if it's humble boldness, willing to be corrected when we find out we are wrong, right, um, then, then people will be able to receive it and lives will be changed. We never, we never confront because we're right, beloved. We never confront because we're right. We confront, right, because we want people to come into right relationship with God. With God. We confront to help someone else be right with God. Again, Galatians 6.1, gently and humbly. Now I'm in the New Living Translation Gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Right? Drive-by confrontations. Angry people on social media. People that we have no relationship with. That's, that's more about our need to feel right than it is about our love for people apart from God. You know, it's in the context of relationship where we try to bring restoration. Start with those you're in relationship broken-hearted boldness proclaim to the world with the mercy of God and the invitation of God into right relationship. And let me just end with a word of caution. I guess what I'm saying here is, is be courageous. I'm not asking you to be quiet. No. Um, seek the face of God and then boldly speak the truth in love. But, but confront people with caution, right? Do you see the back half? The front half of 6.1 says, gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. The back half says, and be careful. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. When you are confronting, you're going to be vulnerable. Guess what? To pride. To pride the very thing you're confronting. And you're going to be tempted to see yourselves as above other people, right? See other people as, as lower than you. I'm going to somehow bless you with my truth, right? Here's the reality. We all are helpless before God. We all are humbled, right, before God. So I, want, I hope these are words of encouragement to you. God can take any life and turn it around. God can take any voice and, and use it for his glory, right? God is sovereign and he is reigning right now. He's still on the throne. You don't have to fear. Pray with me, would you? 
Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you that that we can see in your word the exact situations we find ourselves and we can find light and truth to help us on our way. But God, I thank you most of all that in the midst of all of this, God, in the midst of all the confusion and all the pain and the brokenness, you still reign. God, we declare together before you today that you are sovereign. We declare before one another, before those watching on the internet, God, you reign. Can you say that with me, people here in the congregation? God, you reign. That was lame. Say it with me one more time. God, you reign. Say it with me at home. Say it with us. God, you reign. Let's stand and worship this God who reigns together, shall we?